Book Ten, Chapter Six of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Ten, Chapter Six The Reverse of a Mask. The plan of Camilla was to stop within twenty yards of the house of Bellamy and then send for Molly Mill. But till she gave direction to the driver, she was not aware of the inconvenience of being without a servant, which had not previously occurred either to Mrs. Burlington or herself. The man could not leave his horses, and she was compelled to let him draw up to the gate. There, when he rang at a bell, her terror, lest she should suddenly encounter Mrs. Tyrold, made her bid him open the chaise door, that she might get out and walk on, before he inquired for Molly. But, in stepping from the carriage, she discerned, over a paling at some distance, Eugenia herself, alone, slowly walking, and her head turned another way. Every personal and even every filial idea was buried instantly in this sight. The disastrous state of this beloved and unhappy sister, and her own peculiar knowledge of the worthless character of the wretch who had betrayed her into his snares, penetrated her with an anguish that took thought from all else, and darting through the great gate, and thence through a smaller one which opened to the spot where she saw her walking, she flew to her in a speechless transport of sorrow, folded her in her arms, and sobbed upon her shoulder. Starting, shaking, amazed, Eugenia looked at her. A good heaven, she exclaimed, is it my sister? Is it Camilla? Do I indeed see one so dear to me? And too weak to sustain herself, she sunk, though not fainting, upon the turf. Camilla could not articulate a syllable. The horror she had conceived against Bellamy chilled all attempt at consolation, and her own misery, which the preceding moment seemed to be crushing the springs of life, vanished in the agonized affection with which she felt the misfortunes of her sister. Eugenia soon recovered, and rising, and holding her by the hand, yet seeming to refuse herself the emotion of returning her embraces, said, with a faint effort to smile, "'You have surprised me indeed, my dear Camilla, and convicted me to myself of my vain philosophy. I had thought I should never more be moved thus again, but I see now the affections are not so speedily to be all vanquished.' The melancholy conveyed by this idea of believed apathy in a young creature so innocent, and but just dawning into life still beyond speech, and nearly beyond sufferance, affected Camilla, who, hanging over her, sighed out, "'My dearest, dearest Eugenia!' "'And what is it has brought to me this unexpected but loved sight? Does Mr. Bellamy know you are here?' "'No,' she answered, shuddering at his name." Eugenia looked pensive, looked distressed, and casting down her eyes and hesitating, with a deep sigh, said, "'I I have n not the trinkets for my dear sister, Mr. Bellamy,' she stopped. Called to her sad self by this shock, of which she strove to repress the emotion, 
Camilla recollected her own almost blunted purpose, and fearfully asked if their mother were yet at Belfont. "'Ah, uh, no,' she answered, clasping her hands and leaning her head upon her sister's neck. "'She is gone. The day before yesterday she was with me, with me only for one hour, yet to pass with her such another, I think, my dear Camilla, would soon lead me where I might learn a better philosophy than that I so vainly thought I had already acquired here.' Camilla, struck with awe, ventured not even at an inquiry, and they both for some little time walked on in silence. "'Did she name to you?' at length, in broken accents, she asked. "'Did she name to you, my Eugenia, the poor banished Camilla?' "'Banished? No. How banished?' "'She did not mention me.' "'No. She came to me, but upon one subject.' She failed in her purpose, and left me. A sigh that was nearly a groan finished this short little speech. "'Oh, heaven, my Eugenia!' cried Camilla, now in agony unresisted. "'Tell me, then, what passed? What new disappointment had my unhappy mother to sustain, and how, by what cruel fatality, has it fallen to your lot, even to yours, to suffer her wishes to fail?' "'You know nothing, then,' said Eugenia, after a pause, "'of her view, her errand, hither?' "'Nothing but that to see you brought her not only hither, but to England.' "'Blessed may she be,' cried Eugenia fervently, "'and rewarded where rewards are just and are permanent.' Camilla zealously joined in the prayer, yet besought to know if she might not be informed of the view to which she alluded." "'We must go, then,' said Eugenia, "'into the house. My poor frame is yet feebler than my mind, and I cannot support it unaided while I make such a relation.' Camilla, affrighted, now gave up her request, but the generous Eugenia would not leave her in suspense. They went, therefore, to a parlour, where, shutting the doors and windows, she said, "'I must be concise for both our sakes, and when you understand me, we must talk instantly of other things.' Camilla could give only a tacit promise, but her air shewed she would hold it sacred as any bond. The idea which brought over this inestimable parent, and which brought her at a moment when she knew me to be alone, to this sad house, these sad arms, oh, Camilla, how shall I speak it? It was to exonerate me from my vows as forced, to annul all my engagements as compulsory, and— to restore me again. Oh, Camilla, Camilla, to my parents, my sisters, my uncle, my dearly loved Cleves. She gasped almost convulsively, yet, though Camilla now even conjured her to say no more, went on. A proposal such as this, pressed upon me by one whose probity and honor hold all calamity at naught, if opposed to the most minute deviation from right, a proposal such as this, oh, let me not go back to the one terrible half-instant of demure. It was heart-rendering, it was killing. I thought myself again in the bosom of my loved family. And is it so utterly impossible, and can it not yet be effected? No, my dear sister, no. The horrible scenes I must go through in a public trial for such a purpose, the solemn vows I must set aside, 
the reiterated promises i must break no my dear sister no and now we will speak of this no more camilla knew too well her firmness her enthusiasm to perform whatever she conceived to be her duty to enter into any contest yet to see her thus self-devoted where even her upright mother and pious father those patterns of resignation to every heaven-inflicted sorrow thought her ties were repealed by the very villainy which had formed them seemed more melancholy and yet harder for submission than her first seizure by the worthless bellamy and how bore my poor mother oh my poor unfortunate mother destined thus to woes of every sort though from children who adore her how bore she the deprivation of a hope that had brought her so far like herself nobly when once it was decided and she saw that though upon certain avowals the law might revoke my plighted faith it could not abrogate the scruples of my conscience she thinks them overstrained but she knows them to be sincere and permitted them therefore to silence her unfit to be seen by any others she hurried then away and then camilla began my trial indeed i thought when she had left me when my arms no more embraced her honoured knees and neither her blessings nor her sorrows soothed or wounded my ears i thought i might defy all evil to assault all woe to afflict me ever again that my eyes were exhausted of every tear and my heart was emptied of all power of future feeling i seemed suddenly quite hardened transformed i thought to stone as senseless as immovable and as cold the sensations of camilla were all such as she durst not utter but eugenia assuming some composure added of this and of me now enough uh, speak my dear sister of yourself how have you been enabled to come hither and what could you mean by saying you were banished alas my dearest eugenia if my unhappy situation is unknown to you why should i agitate you with new pain my mother i find spared you and not only you but me though i have wrung her heart tortured it by a sight never to be obliterated from her memory she would not rob me of my beloved sister's regard nor even name me lest the altered tone of her voice should make you say of what camilla does my mother speak eugenia with earnest wonder begged an explanation but when camilla found her wholly uninformed of the history of their father's confinement she recoiled from giving her such a shock yet having gone too far entirely to recede she rested the displeasure of their mother upon the debts and the dealings with the usurer both sufficiently repugnant to the strictness and nobleness of mrs tyrold to seem ample justification of her displeasure eugenia entered into the distress of her sister as if exempt herself from all suffering and camilla thus commiserating and commiserated knew not how to tear herself away for though eugenia pressed not her stay she turned pale when a door opened a clock struck or anything seemed to prognosticate separation and looked as if to part with her were death at length however the lateness of the day forced more of resolution but when camilla then rang to give orders for the carriage 
that the footman said it had been gone more than two hours. The postillion, being left without any directions, thought it convenient to suppose he was done with, and, knowing Camilla had no authority and his lady no inclination to chide him, had given in her little packet and driven off without enquiry. Far from repining at this mixture of impertinence and carelessness, Camilla would have rejoiced in an accident that seemed to invite her to stay, had not her sister seemed more startled than pleased by it. She begged, therefore, that a post-chaise might be ordered, and Molly Mill, the only servant to whom the mistress of the house appeared willing to speak, received the commission. At sight of Camilla, Molly had cried bitterly, and beginning, "'Oh, miss!' seemed entering into some lamentation and detail, but Eugenia, checking her, half-whispered, "'Good Molly, remember what you promised.' When Molly came back, she said that there were no horses at Belfont, and would be none till the next morning. The sisters involuntarily congratulated one another upon this accident, though they reciprocated a sigh that to necessity alone they should owe their lengthened intercourse. "'But, my dear mistress,' cried Molly, "'there's a lad that I know very well, for I always see him when I go of an errand that's gone to Salisbury.' "'and he says he must go through Etherington, "'and if you've anything you want to send, he'll take it for you, "'and he can bring anything back, "'for he shall be here again to-morrow, for he goes post.' "'Eugenia, sending away Molly, said, "'Why should you not seize such an opportunity "'to address a few lines to our dear mother? "'I may then have the satisfaction to see her answer, "'and if, as I cannot doubt, "'she tells you to return home with Miss Margland.' Oh, she will not, I'm sure, let you travel about alone. What a relief will it be to me to know the distresses of my beloved sister are terminated. I shall paint your meaning in my mind's eye, see you again restored to the sunshine of her fondness, and while away my solitary languor with reveries far more soothing than any that I have yet experienced at Belfont. Camilla embraced her generous sister, and, always readiest for what was speediest, wrote these lines, directed, To Miss Tyrold. I cannot continue silent, yet to whom may I address myself? I dare not apply to my father. I, I scarce dare even think of my mother. Encompassed with all of guilt with which imprudence can ensnare me, my courage is gone with my happiness. Which way may I then turn? In pity to a wretched sister, drop, O Lavinia, at the feet of her I durst not name, but whom I revere, if possible even more than I have offended. This small and humble memorial of my unhappy existence, my penitence, my supplication, my indescribable, though merited, anguish. Camilla. Could the two sisters, even in this melancholy state, have continued together, they felt that yet from tender sympathy consolation might revisit their bosoms. The day closed in, but they could not bear to part, and though from hour to hour they pronounced an adieu, they still sat on, talked on, and found a balm in their restored intercourse so healing and so sweet, that the sun, though they hailed not its beams, rose when they were yet repeating good night. They then thought it too late to retire, mutually agreeing with how much greater facility they might recover their lost rest than an opportunity such as this for undisturbed conversation. Every minute of this endearing commerce made separation seem harder, 
and the answer for which they waited from Etherington, anxiously and fearfully as it was expected, so whiled away the minutes that it was noon, and no chase had been ordered, and when they heard one driving up to the house. Alarmed, they listened to know what it portended. "'Mr. Bellamy,' said Eugenia in a low voice, "'scarce ever comes home at this hour.' "'Could it be my mother herself?' cried Camilla. In a few minutes, however, Eugenia looked pale. "'Tis his step,' she whispered, and presently Bellamy opened the door. Obliged to acknowledge his entrance, Camilla arose, but her parched lips and clammy mouth made her feel as if his sight had given her a fever, and she attempted not to force any speech. He did not seem surprised at seeing her, asked how she did, rather cavalierly than civilly, rang the bell, and gave various orders, addressed scarce a word to his wife, and walked whistling about the room. A change so gross and quick from the obsequious Bellamy Camilla had hitherto seen was beyond even her worst expectations, and she conceived as low an opinion of his understanding and his manners as of his morals. Eugenia kept her eyes riveted to the ground, and, though she tried from time to time to say something to them both, evidently it required her utmost fortitude to remain in the room. "'At length, Miss Camilla,' he said, "'I suppose you know Miss Markland is gone.' "'Gone? Whither? How gone?' "'Why, home. Oh, that is, to her home, as she thinks it cleaves. She set off this morning with the light.' Camilla, astonished, was now called forth from her taciturnity. "'What, possibly,' she cried, "'can have induced this sudden journey? Has my uncle sent for her?' "'No, your uncle has nothing to do with it. She had a letter last night from Mrs. McDursey, with one enclosed for Sir Hugh, to beg pardon, and so forth, and this morning she set off to carry it.' Camilla was confounded. Why Miss Markland had not at least called at Belfont to inquire if she would proceed with her was beyond all her conjecture. Soon after, Bellamy's servant came in with a letter for Camilla, which had arrived after she left town, and was given to him by Mrs. Burlington's butler. She retired into the next room to read it, where, to her great consternation, she found it was from Jacob, and had been written the day of Mr. Tyrold's arrest, though, as it was sent by a private hand, it had only now arrived. "'Things going,' he said, "'so bad at Cleves, on account of so many misfortunes. His master was denying himself all his natural comforts, and in particular he had sent to unorder a new pipe of Madeira, saying he would go without, though, as Miss might remember, it was the very wine the doctors had ordered for his stomach.' This all the servants had so taken to heart that they had resolved to buy it among em and get it privately laid in, and not let his honour know but what it was always the same, till he had drunk so much he could not help himself. For this they were to join, according to their wages and savings. Now I, says Jacob, being by his good honour's generosity the richest among us from a calling, wants to do the most, after next to the butler and housekeeper, so... "'Dear Miss, all I got being in the funds, which I can't sell out without loss, "'if you can let me have the money for the heirs without all convenience "'till Miss Jenny that was can pay it, I should be much obliged. "'For Miss Jenny not having of a farting, which will be a great favor to Madame, "'your humblest servant till death, uh, Jacob Mord.' 
so touching a mark of the fond gratitude of the Cleves' servants to their kind master, mingled tenderness, in defiance of all horror, in the tears of Camilla. But her total inability to satisfy the just claims of Jacob, since now her resource even in Eugenia failed, with the grief of either defeating his worthy project, or making it lastingly hurtful to him, was amongst the severest strokes which had followed her ill-advised schemes. To proclaim such an additional debt was a shame from which she shrunk, yet to fly immediately to Cleves and try to soothe her oppressed uncle was an idea that still seemed gifted with some power to soothe herself. Whither indeed else could she now go? She had no longer either carriage or protectress in town, and what she gathered of the readmission of Bellamy to Grosvenor Square made the cautions and opinions of Agar burst forcefully upon her mind to impede, though most mournfully, all future return to Mrs. Burlington. A pliancy so weak or so willful seemed to announce in that lady an almost determined incorrigibility in wrong, however it might be checked in its progress by mingled love of right and a fear of ill consequences. "'Oh, Edgar!' she cried. "'Had I trusted you as I ought from the moment of your generous declaration, had my confidence been as firm in your kindness as in your honour, what misery had I been saved? From this connection, from my debts, from every wide-spreading mischief, I could then have erred no more, for I should have thought but of your approvance.' These regrets were, as usual, resuming their absorbing powers, for all other evils seemed fluctuating, but here misery was stationary, when the voice of Bellamy, speaking harshly to his unhappy wife, and some words she unavoidably caught, by which she found he was requesting that she would demand money of Sir Hugh, made her conclude him not aware he was overheard, and force herself back into the parlour. But his inattention upon her return was so near rudeness that she soon felt convinced Mrs. Burlington had acquainted him with her remonstrances and ill opinion. He seemed in guilty fear of letting her converse even a moment with Eugenia, and presently, though with an air of pretend unconcern, said, "'You have no commands for the chase I came in, Miss Camilla?' "'No, sir. What chase? Why?' she stammered. "'It's difficult sometimes to get one at this place, and these horses are very fresh.' I bid them stay till they asked you. This was so palpable a hint for her to depart that she could not but answer she would make use of it when she had taken leave of her sister, whom she now looked at with emotions near despair at her fate, and with difficulty restrained even its most unbridled expressions. But Bellamy kept close, and no private conference could take place. Eugenia merely said, Which way, my dear sister, shall you go? I, I am not fixed to, to Cleves, I believe, answered she, scarce knowing herself what she said. I am very glad of it, she replied, for the sake of my poor, she found her voice falter, and did not pronounce uncle, but added, as Miss Margland has already left London, I think you right to go thither at once. It may abridge many difficulties, and with post-horses you may be there before it is dark. They then embraced tenderly, but parted without any further speech, and she set off rather mechanically than designedly for Cleves. End of chapter 6